week or most weeks, on Monday morning, sometimes even Sunday evening, I send out a little uh, email thing to people who have signed up for it, telling them what the announcements were for the week and what the next week's sermon is going to be about, scripture reading, things like that. And if you don't get that but would like to, please let me know. We send it through a service called MailChimp. I don't know where they got the name. But uh, it, uh, it asks on there, has this person approved being put on the list or something like that? So I don't put anybody on the list because I want you on the list. <laughs> I don't put you on the list until you say you want on the list because I don't want to lie when I say yes. <laughs> so uh, if you'd like to get that, please let me know sometime, anytime, and, and I'll just add you to the list. So uh, if you'd like to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 10, we're, we're moving along through this book. And, and you know, have you ever in, as a child, there's, there are a few things more annoying than someone telling secrets in front of you and then not telling you. And then if you have a family like mine, you run around going, I know a secret, I know a secret, just rubbing it in that I know a secret that you don't know, right? Is that, is that not annoying? Is that, or am I the only one that grew up with this problem? <laughs> of course, I want to do it. That's, it's fun to do it. It's no fun to have it done. Well, in today's passage, John faithfully writes that a voice from heaven told him not to write what he hears. And you go, what is that about? That is like, talk about a dirty trick. He's rubbing it in that, that, that he's, telling, he's not telling us something. And you go, okay, I, I don't think I understand that, but that's what he does. You know, so what kind of a tease is this? Uh, well, what we're going to do today is we're going to consider there's seven thunders, right? So we, we talk about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. Those are all revealed to us. And then there's these seven thunders that we almost never talk about that, because they, we aren't told anything about them. And it's like... Why did he, he, but he didn't tell us that he, they're there so we'd ignore them. There's still something about them. So we're going to explore, the, we're going to explore what we're not told today, if that makes any sense. Uh, and, and we're going to look at my theory, by the way, which is nothing but a pet theory, that there's seven good things for God's people. And I'll explain why I think that. Uh, but, but more, that God has the right to reveal what he chooses to reveal. And we do not have the right to demand more. Right? Uh, that, that's foolish of us to think so. Our responsibility is to be faithful to what we do know. Okay? That, that's what we're going to see. And as I say it, you go, okay, you can sit down now. But we're going to go there because this is, this is a, a fun passage, right? Chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll in his right hand, or in his, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he calls out in a loud voice, uh, uh, and when like a lion roaring. And when he calls out, the seven thunders, and you go, "Wow, that's a cool angel." I tried to draw this angel. Right? I'm, at, I'm at school, I'm at class, we're going through, it looked like a hippie hiding behind a bush, you know? You get this rainbow, and you get this puffy thing around him, and you just, it just looked wrong, the kids could not stop laughing, so I thought, okay, I'm going to stop doing art. Uh, you know, but but his, he's, he's wrapped in a cloud, he's got a rainbow over his head, this, is, this guy's huge, this is a big angel, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, planes that are big, that carry 50, 60, 80, 100, I don't know how many people you get on those big planes, disappear into the clouds. This guy's wrapped in clouds. He's, he's a big angel. He has a rainbow over, over his head. And, and, and as we've already looked at rainbows earlier in, in Revelation. We found a rainbow around the throne, and it was jasper, 
or, or it was green, it was, it was emerald, depending on, uh, yeah, not jasper, emerald. And, and, uh, and you go, okay, what is a rainbow that's one color? And it wasn't a normal rainbow like we think of. So, so I talked about, if you remember this at all, but the idea that it's like an aura, uh, that it's, it's a, a full circle, a, a halo kind of thing. And, and this could be something more like that, like the, uh, the aura or the halo that was around the throne. Uh, or it could be a natural rainbow. It says his face shone like the sun. Right? And he's really big. And, and uh, so you have, have the effect of, of just the natural effect of his face in this radiant brightness. And, and you know, if you have moisture in the clouds or the water around it, maybe the cloud that he's wrapped in, <laughs> you know, and, and it creates a rainbow. It could just be a natural rainbow going on here. Uh, but it's another statement of how big and how fantastic this angel is. And then he sets one foot on the sea and the other in the land. And you and I can't do that. Right? We can do that. You can go to the ocean, you can put one foot in the sea and one in the land, and then they're both in the water, and then they're both on the land. Because we're not, we can't, you have to be big. You have to be really big to do this and for it to work. You can set one foot in a pond and the other on land. You can put, put one foot in a puddle, right? You can put one foot in a pool, but you can't put, put one foot in the sea and the other on land because we are not big enough for that to work. This angel, this is an incredible angel. Right? And, and, and when we talk about him putting one foot in the sea and one in the land, is God just telling us this is an impressive angel and be impressed by him? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. God did not give us the Bible to impress us with angels. It, 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 it tends to understate angels, if anything. And, and so that's not the focus of this thing. So if we look for what does it mean, what would this mean? Well, it might simply be saying he's a big, impressive angel, therefore pay attention to his message. But, but if you want a symbolic message, jump ahead to Revelation chapter 17. And we can start finding out uh, what this might be meaning when it talks about one foot in the sea and another in the land. Other than that, this is a big angel. Okay, uh, chapter seventeen, verse two. And seventeen is is a very sim- you know a chapter full of symbolic pictures and things like that. Uh, and it's it's talking about the false religious systems. When it says prostitute, it's talking about false religion. Uh, and, and so chapter 17, I'll read verses 1 and 2. I'm sorry, just verse, verse 1. Uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is on or who, who is seated on many waters. So this great prostitute that is the false religions is represented as seated on many waters. Chapter 15, it explains the many waters. Or chapter 17, verse 15, it explains the many waters. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Right? So the prostitute is seated on many waters. The many waters are peoples and nations and languages and, and uh, what was the other one? There were four. Multitudes. Uh, that's what the waters represent in chapter 17. It makes an awful lot of sense that that's what the sea and the land represent. Uh, if this is saying something, it's, it's likely that the foot on land would represent the Jews or the chosen people or God's people. The foot on the sea would represent the many peoples, the many nations, the many lands. Just as last week when we were talking about you know, the Euphrates being beyond the land and, 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 and seeming to represent a world war when the four angels went out from 
from there. This seems to be one huge angel sending a message representing or for the entire world. Uh, that he's got one foot on land, one foot on sea. He's speaking to both. He's speaking to everybody or to all lands. And we easily recognize, even if it's just by the size, but if also by this symbolism, that this is a message for the whole world. Uh, whatever it is, because we don't know what the message is uh, that he gives. Uh, big or little, the word angelos, the, the Greek word angelos, that's translated angel here, still means messenger. Right, And so an angelos is a messenger. He is there to deliver a message. Regardless of what he looks like, what he's doing, he is a messenger, and that's what he's done there. So that's what we see about what this angel is, this really cool angel. But what does the angel do? Well, we, we read on a little bit again. He called out with a loud voice, like verse 3, like a lion roaring when he called out. The seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And I saw the angel whom I saw, and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea is what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the day days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. The mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So he's delivering a little scroll. He's releasing seven, seven thunders. Those are the two things he's doing. We'll look at the little scroll next week. We, we aren't, we're not going to get there today. We'll look at the seven thunders today. In other words, we're looking at what he's not telling us. <laughs> We're going to talk about what he's not telling us. So so the seven thunders, the angel calls out in a loud voice, like a lion roaring, and seven thunders sound, right? Now, John is getting pretty good at this job. He's been doing it now for ten chapters, well, for for eight chapters. He's been writing what he saw, and and he's up there, and he's doing exactly what he's been told to do, and he's, he's... the angel tells him, and he gets his scroll out, and he starts to write with the seven thunders, and then another voice, not the angel, a voice from heaven says, don't write that down, seal it up. It's not to be known. And you go, it's just, that, why? I mean, did, did John go, did John for the rest of his life walk around saying, man, I'd love to tell you this secret, <laughs> but I can't. It's like, why did God tell him this? It, it's it's got to be frustrating. You know, he, he's good at his job. He starts to write, and this voice says, don't. And, and so why tell John, and then tell him not to tell us, but then tell him to write da- have him write down that he's not telling us what he was told? It, it, like I say, it reminds me of a little child running around going, I have a secret, I have a secret. And of course, if a child does that, what he's doing is he's dying to tell you his secret. He just wants to make you beg. And, and that's not what John's doing. So, so there's some, sp- some po- possibilities that I have heard or, or seen speculated about these, these uh, seven, seven thunders and what they're really about. Okay, the first is that this is another set of seven disasters, but that God chooses not to uh, inflict the earth with them. Okay, that is consistent with something we find in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. If you're familiar with prophecy, you know Matthew 24 is where Jesus uh, has the, the greatest, most clear, concise uh, set of prophecies about end times. Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, he says this, And if those days had not been cut short, 
No human being would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So this theory says what happens is, is uh, that God was going to unleash this other set of seven things, but if he had done that, it would have meant the end for mankind. And so he chose not to do it, even though people deserved it. And we, it's easy to see, yeah, we deserve, if we got what we deserved, we'd find out that we don't deserve as much as we like to think we do. Uh, and, and so that theory says uh, that he canceled this set of judgments to spare mankind. The weakness with this theory, and, and it's, it's actually a literary weakness, is that it's not symmetrical, right? We, we, we've got the seven seals, and the seventh seal unleashes the seven uh, trumpets, and the seventh trumpet is fulfilled before the seven bowls uh, are, are, are unleashed. And so, so we have this symmetry with the three sevens that come before it, plus three sevens. You know, three is, is the number of God, seven is the number of completion, and there's a lot of significance in that. And four sevens doesn't work. And besides, this fourth, this other seven is coming before the third or the last seven of the second group. And it goes, the symmetry is all ruined. And so I'm going, my, liter my literary mind that looks at this as a piece of, of literature doesn't like it. And I say, that doesn't work. It spoils the, the, the design. And, and you go, that's, see, that's actually kind of stupid argument. <laughs> it might be. It might be. But, but when we find all this symmetry in Scripture and we find Revelation being highly structured and all this, you, you go, this, this, this would destroy the structure. It doesn't work. So, so that's, my, that's what I, one of the reasons I don't like it, besides I didn't think of it. And, and so, you know, so, so my theory that, that I don't know if anybody's ever come up with but me is that this is not a series of disasters, but a series of seven blessings, good things that God brings upon his people that are alive on the earth at this time. And, and, and uh, it, it, it work, God is working at this point with these seven on behalf of his people, not, not to punish anyone else. And, and it, it, what it does is it maintains the, symbol, the symmetry and, and the structure of all those things. It also, this would be happening just before the seventh trumpet, which essentially is the unleashing of the seven bowls of wrath. And so it would be God doing something on behalf of his people before he pours out his judgment on the earth. And, and regardless of where you place the tribulation in your thinking, unless, I, may, I suppose, maybe pre-wrath, uh, there, there are going to be Christians on the earth, or believers in God, believers and followers of Christ on the earth at this time, and God would be doing something to preserve them. We don't know what it is. I like that theory. Uh, it maintains the and maybe it's just that I came up with it, uh, but it, it sounds nicer. The wisest of the three, though, if you want to be wise, is to say, don't waste your time speculating because you can't know. <laughs> okay, uh, that, that is, If God wanted us to know, he'd have told us, and he didn't tell us. Uh, and, and so, you know, my, my, the only answer after that is, it's okay to speculate so long as you don't take your speculation and say, thus saith the Lord. Right, always. It is. It is fun, and I think maybe profitable to speculate about Scripture and how it's going to work its way out. If you ever read the Left Behind series, what is that? That that's a series of I don't know how many books speculating on how it's all working out. It's it's still only. I don't care how how well versed in Scripture these people are. It's only their best guess, and they're putting it into a novel form, which means they're admitting this is fiction, right? They're not saying this is prophecy, right? So so it's, I think it's okay to speculate so long as you remember the difference between between thus saith the Lord 
and this is what Steve thinketh, right? Because there's, there's not a lot of value. But, but back to the angel, right? The angel speaks. He ignores the seven thunders, right? It, it's kind of interesting. He, he speaks. Uh, he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, verse 3. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven, what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea is what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet about to be sounded by the seventh angel, and he he goes right by that and starts talking about the trumpet. It's like the angel is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. God says, seal it up, so he acts as if it's not there. He just moves right ahead because he doesn't go back and talk about what he talked about unless that's what the mystery is. Because he says, the mystery of God would be fulfilled uh, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded. The seventh angel, by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So he ignores the seven thunders. He says there'll be no more delay. The mystery uh, of God is about to be fulfilled. The mystery may be the meaning of the seven thunders. But, but I don't think so. Uh, I, think he's, I think he is obediently moving beyond that subject and going on throughout the, throughout the, the New Testament, throughout uh, the, the epistles. Mystery often means the church or God's plan for the church. The, what, what was hidden in times past but is now revealed. Biblically, a mystery is not like what we... If you, if you watch a mystery, the mystery... Is, you're, you're busily looking at the clues and trying to solve it and all this. Biblically, a mystery is simply something that is not known until it is revealed. Once it is revealed, you go, oh, there it is. But until it's revealed, it's not known. Uh, and, and so it, it might be that. It might be how God is working it out. And when we speculate, what are we doing? We are looking at how the mystery might be worked out. And he's saying the mystery is going to be revealed with, with this seventh trumpet, when the seventh trumpet is sounded. Uh, and, and he's saying it's, we're about to see it all. It's about to all be laid out, and it will all make sense, and we'll all see it. I think it's the outworking of God's plan because he says, just as he announced to his servants the prophets, right? Just as he announced to his servants the prophets. In other words, things have been told to us. We see them. We can speculate. We can write novels about them, but we're still just speculating. It's still a mystery until it is revealed. So the prophets have already told us what is going to be revealed. And we look at prophecy and we lay out our prophetic timelines and we look at the things that are going to happen and everything we've been talking about you know, for, for weeks now is what's going to happen, how it's going to look. And, and it's, it's mystery, but it's going to be fulfilled. Right? What we are doing when we read this and read the seven, seven thunders is what the, what the prophets have did. We're experiencing what the prophets did. We, I've talked about this before, but let me real quickly read First Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 10 through 12. Because basically it says, the prophets didn't get to understand even what they were prophesying about. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through, 11, or 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. So they got to, they got to make the prophecy, but they didn't get to understand it. John got to hear this, but he didn't get to write it down. We get to read that he did it, but we don't get to know it. It's not for us. Among other things, why is this sealed? Because it's not for us. And we have to look at that and say, well, I want to know. Why tell me you got a secret and then don't tell me the secret? Why would you do that? It's, it was not for you. You know, in, in ministry, I call that keeping a confidence. <laughs> keeping a confidence is a good thing. It's what we're supposed to do. It's not just saying, I know a secret. Yeah, Paul comes up and he confesses his deepest sins to me, which is that he actually doesn't like his Prius. But <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and, 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 and then I walk around saying, hey, guess what? Paul told me his deepest sins, and I'm not telling you. Okay, well, I'm doing good in not telling you. Yeah, because Paul's so good that deepest sins are really boring. But, uh, uh, sorry, I, I need to be good. Um, There are things that we don't need. He doesn't tell us because it doesn't pertain to us. Unless we happen to somehow be there at this point, uh, at that point, it'll be revealed to us. But for now, it's not. We don't need to know. Uh, he, 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 uh, I need to back, get back to my point. We recognize uh, as we look at these things, as we look at what he has announced to his prophets, we see lots of prophecies out there. We see lots of prophecies that have been fulfilled. And we look at first coming prophecies. And we look at, and we, and we, so we can look at, you know, out of, uh, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the nations, we can go, oh yeah, that's talking about where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. We can read, uh, uh, he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that. He didn't know what it meant, but we get to look at it and say, yeah, Jesus is all those things. He is both a son born to us, a child given to us, and he is Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And we go, wow, what an amazing answer to this mystery. So we look at prophecies that have been fulfilled. They're not mysteries. But we, then we look at prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, like these, and we go, I don't know. Someday we'll see it, and it will be fulfilled. The day is coming when all will be fulfilled. And, and so I don't think the angel is referring to what he is not to reveal, but to what he is, which is the things coming. So, so Deuteronomy 29.29 is this strange verse that says, uh, basically, the, it's the secret things belong to God. Uh, the things that are he, he has revealed belong to you. And I, I like the fact that the reference is 2929, because it kind of makes it easy to remember. Uh, but other than that, I, I will tell you something I think about this verse. Where it is put is absolutely arbitrary. You know, I, I love to look at verse in its context and see how the context affects what, what is being said. I like to see how, you know, what nuances it might make, how it explains things. I don't see that where this is tells us anything. Uh, it is, this, this verse is just plopped down in the midst of a bunch of other things that are going on and, and doesn't seem to say anything about that, but it says something that, that is valuable had it been plopped anywhere else in Scripture. It's just a valuable truth we need to recognize. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, uh, that, they, that we may do all the words of the law. 
And so we have this verse that's kind of put there, and and we don't know why. It's a place where there's no obvious connection with what goes before it or what comes after it. It's a great truth. It feels like it could have been put anywhere. Uh, But but it's just kind of like in the middle of of God giving us a lot of other things. He says, oh, by the way, God knows things that you don't know. Okay? And you go, well, that's not fair. (laughs) Uh, He says, God knows things that you don't know. And, and, and uh, you just worry about doing the things he does tell you. And, and you kind of go, well, I'm not sure that's satisfying. Uh, you know, we don't like secrets being kept from us. It's part of human nature. We want to know, especially if we know somebody knows something that they're not telling us. We want to know what they're hiding from us. Why aren't you telling me this? Joan and I spent way too many stinking hours yesterday car shopping. And man, that's a painful process. And, and imagine you're shopping for a car and, and you see something that, that makes you just a little bit nervous. You say, well, what's going on there? Oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, what's, well, we had that looked at and it's okay. But how satisfying is that answer? I mean, this matters. You want to know. Wait, why are you not, what are you not telling me? That's, that's a big question, buying a car, especially a used car. What are you not telling me about this car? And why are you not telling I mean, for, for one thing, I mean, you don't tell somebody everything because it would take forever and a day, right? You look at Carfax, and they have, have you know, all these different categories and all these different things they say about a car and all these things. And you go, okay, that's nice, but you know there could be more. And this guy's saying, well, with this one, there are 50 things they check. But on this one, there's 125 things they check. And I'm going, they check 125 things? I walk around and kick tires, you know? I look and see how, how deep the tread is. I look at, and of course, they always make the engine look clean before you look at it, so you don't know anything. I'll look at the oil, but it's like they always have just changed the oil. You can't tell anything. But that's all I know how to do. And so a hot, they check 125 things. What are they checking? You know, and, 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 uh, and, and then you know that if you were to check everything, there's a lot of things they're not checking. Why aren't they telling me these things? We want to know. It's human nature. We want to know. We are suspicious of what we're not being told. And so it's like, why isn't God telling me more? Why doesn't he? Well, let me defend God for a minute. First of all, we're not that bright, right? We, if you, you cannot know everything. How many, things, how many of you have studied something wanting to know more, and when you're done, you felt still unsatisfied? And you walk away at some point saying, I cannot learn enough about this. Because the more you study something, the more you find out you don't know. And the more you you, you try to find out what you don't know, the more you find out that there's more you don't know. It's just the the way we, we cannot know it. I don't know how smart you think you are. But I know I'm not that smart. makes it really easy. So he gives us what we can handle. He gives us what we can handle. And as we look at and struggle with understanding passages of Scripture, uh, sometimes uh, we, we realize he's actually given me more than I can handle already. right? He's already done much. So the first answer is we, we can't know it all anyway. And the second of all, why do the same people who ignore what he's already given us ask, demand that he give us more? Right? Uh, if, if you're not doing what he's already told you to do, why should he tell you more than what you're already ignoring him on? Why should he tell you more than what you're already disobeying? American Christians have more Bibles than anyone else in the world and value them less than anybody else in the world. Why, why would another book or two in the Bible help you? 
if you don't read what's already there. Right? What's one of the most common excuses for not reading the Bible? It's so big. It, well, let's make it bigger to answer your questions. Right? It, it doesn't work. People already are, are not reading the Bible for that reason. Uh, why would you add more? But the, the, the third reason is, is so simple. Still in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. And we're saying, but I want to know more. And God says, I want you to do what I've given you to do. The purpose of the law is not to tickle our minds, not to flatter our intellect, not to to tease us with more things. God has given us everything we need to do what is pleasing to him. And that's what our purpose should be. You know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's, I can't remember the references in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I do know that one. All Scripture is given by God, and is, uh, all, all Scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, or, depending on your translation, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does the Word of God do for us? It makes us complete, adequate, thoroughly equipped to do every good work. We don't need another chapter. We don't need another sentence. We don't need another word. It is is everything we need it to be. We don't need more. God has given us everything we need to be pleasing to Him, and that is enough. And so one of the things God is telling us with these seven thunders that we don't get to know what they are, is, is, is that, that uh, he's reminding us that we don't know it all. And even as we look at these end times and what's going on, the, the most, most skillful, scholarly, well-studied expert has to, at this point, shrug up his hands and say, well, I can speculate. Here's what I think. Here's why I think it. But I don't know. Because God hasn't given us that. We need to remember that. This, this, is, this is a call for humility in study. A humility in, in the knowledge that we, ga- we gain. Uh, the seven thunders remind us that we don't know it all. We don't understand it all. We can't. This is not our gift. He has not given us the gift of knowing this. It is not our ability or our responsibility to know it all. That's God's job. Our job is to be faithful to what he has revealed to us. So, so I, I don't want to take this and turn this into an excuse for ignorance. Don't say, well, since I can't know it all, I'm going to use that as an excuse and not try, because the less I know, the less I have to be responsible for. Yeah, don't try that with God. Uh, God, ha- God has a real simple answer. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. <laughs> what a man sows that he also reaps. But I want to come back to the song that Knut mentioned uh, was so appropriate for this message. And I hadn't even thought of it, so thank you. I know whom I have believed. I know not why. God does so many things. I know not how. I can't fathom it when I do know it. I know God loves me so much that he gave his only begotten begotten son for, for me. I know that because I've read it. I, 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 I read it. I believe it. But I don't know how or why. God could love me that much. It doesn't make sense. Today, uh, Joan and I are doing uh, A.W. Tozier's Mornings with A.W. Tozier for devotions this year. Today, he said something to the effect of, 
if God has an eccentricity, <laughs> he basically says, I, 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 I don't like saying this because I don't want to sound like I'm finding fault with God, but if God has an eccentricity, it's that odd love he has for us that doesn't make sense. I believe, I understand, I mean, I, this is par- paraphrasing it. I believe I understand that he loves me, but I don't know why. But I do know this, and now I'm going back to the Gaithers. <laughs> I know whom I have believed in, who are actually going back to, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy, uh, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted unto him against that day. By any chance, <laughs> you're sitting here thinking you need to know more. Or even you need to do better. And we do need to do better. We need to do what we say. I mean, I don't want to throw out that part of the message. But the one most important thing is, is to know him. To know him whom you have believed in. We did a, we, we did a, we're in school again, we're going through Acts, and we did a one-minute salvation drill. It's real simple. Uh, the, the, the Philippian jailer, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 31. He, he, he's, he's before Paul and Silas. He's stunned at what's going on. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I call it the one-minute salvation drill. Somebody's dying in front of you. You know they're about to die. They look up at you. They say, what must I do to be saved? What do you say? Well, first you have to read the Bible, and then you have to go to church, and then I know these people you should talk to beforehand. No, you don't. the guy's about to die. He already he says, what do I need to do to be saved? The answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. <laughs> it's not complicated. It's not a test. It's a simple answer. If by any chance you haven't done that, that's all you need to do. Know whom you have believed in, and that he is able to keep what you've entrusted to him. Trust him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for what I know I don't know. <laughs> I thank you for so much more that I don't know, Father, it's, but that you have given me everything I need. I ask for each one of us, Father, first that, that we be faithful with what you have given us, and maybe more firster, Lord, that you have given us yourself. Let us know you and trust you. I pray in Jesus' name.